Yes, indeed. I'm looking for a revolution, a revolution, a health revolution that starts right here, right now, one conversation at a time on 1150 AM KKNW on an informed live radio. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Um, and here in the Pacific Northwest, we have definitely got cold uh, fall weather rainy, blustery. I actually love this time of year when I'm not driving on the interstate. So I hope you're all out there if you're on your way home that uh, traffic's going well and you get home safely. I love the, the food this time of year, the coziness, uh, put something in the slow cooker in the morning and it's all good to go later on in the evening. Um, before we get started, I want to uh, introduce our guest who um, I'm hoping will arrive here very shortly. I'm uh, going to bring you a little bit of news of what's going on out there in the world regarding um, health. And of course, what's most immediately um, in the news these days is uh, flu and COVID. So doctors in South Korea and their medical association are calling for their flu vaccination program to be paused. Um, there have been at least 36 reported deaths due to flu um, in flu vaccine recipients. And so they're asking for a pause in their program in order for that to be investigated to find out what's going on. Um, you know, besides the usual risks of um, a flu vaccination or any vaccination, there is also something known as hot lots. And, you know, because when you make a vaccine, it's a very complex process. It starts with having to grow the viruses or a bacteria, if it's a bacterial vaccine, you know, in cultures. And all every step of the way, you know, something can go wrong. It's a manufacturing process with something that starts off live and then not live. And all sorts of things can be introduced along the way, bacteria and different things. And sometimes they end up with hot lots that do cause injury and death. And um, so when you end up with a cluster like this, it's really wise to pause just to examine and be sure to see what's going on, make sure you don't have a hot lot. Or I would say in this time of COVID that you don't you're not seeing some reaction that has to do with current environmental situation in, in the world or in that particular community. There might be something that is making people more susceptible to an injury because of what's happening. So it's just smart precautionary principle, you know, stop and, but so far they have not. So we're, we're hoping that they, they change their mind before more deaths occur so they can do some research here. In the United States, there has been a policy for several decades to separate lots of vaccines. If you watch the film um, 1986, The Act, you will read the history of how this began because pharmaceutical industries, I believe it was Wyeth Industry, uh, decided in order to prevent clusters of injuries and deaths in geographic locations, which makes hot lots very visible so you can find them but also it makes them visible and they get reported and and it gets in the news and that doesn't look good for your business they decided to have a distribution process that always breaks up lots to minimize the possibility of having um, hot lots be spotted in one geographic location i think this practice really should end because it does not provide <clears throat> excuse me it does not provide that that layer of uh, 
transparency that we really need in order to trust the products that are, are being put out there. Um, also in the news, several COVID-19 clinical trials have been reported uh, with having injuries in the volunteers that has led to the pausing of some of those trials. And now in Brazil, it's been reported that a volunteer has died. A 28-year-old doctor working on the front lines of the pandemic volunteered for the AstraZeneca COVID-19 trial, and he apparently has died of COVID-19 complications. The media is being told that this young man was in the placebo arm. He was not in the vaccine arm. But in Brazil, AstraZeneca is not using a saline placebo. In Brazil, they are using a meningitis vaccine. And this Still, they, they're not halting the trial because they said, well, he didn't get the COVID-19 vaccine, so there's no reason to halt it. However, th this is so complicated. By not using a saline placebo, they have sort of, it's like they're running two trials at once. One trial in Infernit is whether or not being exposed to COVID-19 and a meningitis vaccine at the same time makes you more susceptible to severe COVID-19. And healthy 28-year-olds do not die from COVID. The death rate in that age bracket is like 0. 0.000. I don't know how many zeros before you get to a one in somebody this age, a healthy young man. So really this needs to be investigated because if they continue to give meningitis vaccines to people who are going to be exposed to COVID, are they potentially setting them up to risk of injury or death or more severe COVID. We don't know, they don't know, and that needs to be investigated. But I'm gonna let you know there's sort of good news in the United States is that when the trials are done here, at least some of them, they are being required by the FDA to actually use saline placebo. And the reason they're doing that isn't because they decided to do an ethical study. It's because of pressure from a fantastic organization, ICANN. Um, and our guest today is going to be telling us more about that because she is COO of this fabulous group, um, ICANN, the Informed Consent Action Network. Um, so our guest is, her name is Catherine Layton, and we call her Kat, and I see she's there. Can I call you Kat when I introduce you? Okay, I get a nod, yes. Um, and let me just tell you a little bit about her. She is an advocate for children, for scientific integrity, and fundamental rights at local, state, and national levels. She brings with her over 10 years of experience in nonprofit organizational operation and is a certified nonprofit executive with the National Association of Nonprofit Organizations and Executives with a pedigree including a versatile background in business management, fine arts, and scientific research. She helps to harmonize the unique goals of ICANN and its educational, legal, and media programs. She is also the supervising producer of the High Wire. And one thing not in her bio is she's an amazing singer. Holy <laughs> moly. If you ever get a chance to party with Kat, have her sing. She just will move you to tears. Her husband's pretty amazing too. Uh, so welcome Kat to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. What an honor it is. It's such a <laughs> 
great introduction. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm just thrilled that you're here. You know, all, all of the people you know, around the world, really, who work for scientific integrity, medical freedom, informed consent, justice for victims. We're like one big family, you know, yeah. and then and we all become fangirls of each other, you know, like, I just so admire you, you know. And, well, I so admire you, Bernadette. Like, <laughs> if you guys don't know Bernadette, I'm sure you do if you're listening or watching, but you are like, an encyclopedia of knowledge on the subject of vaccines. And, you know, we all work kind of together and whenever we have like a big document we're gonna send out, we send it kind of around the horn to make sure we haven't missed anything. And we always make sure that it goes by you, Bernadette. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I try, it's a huge subject. And, you know, my old brain, sometimes I think it's like been sprayed with Pam or something because I get it when it hits me and so many things are sliding off, but like everybody, today, you know, it's like there's been this fire hose of information coming at us and it's really hard to keep up, which is why we love Dell Big Tree and the High Wire and you're and, and you as part of the amazing team. And I actually have um, a clip here. So Eric, the engineer, he's going to play a little clip from High Wire to give listeners and viewers a little taste of what it's all about. Go ahead, Eric. We have uh, a headline. This is a Spanish nurse. He, he was involved in the Oxford trials with AstraZeneca's okay. vaccine. Um, and this, this Spanish volunteer is a nurse uh, for Oxford's vaccine. He's tested positive for COVID, for COVID-19. The article goes on to say uh, the nurse points out that he's isolated in his room, indicates uh, that he's fine. Symptoms he began to notice on Wednesday. Uh, he got up, he had nasal congestion and a headache. He immediately called Oxford by phone and told them, uh, the expert told him to do a PCR test, which was confirmed. He said um, he, he basically thought it was a cold, but when he saw the PCR test test positive for the COVID, he said his heart stopped. Uh, and this is a 45-year-old nurse. So basically, he, he's, he has the same reaction that someone that didn't take the vaccine would have to do. He's right. quarantined. He's isolated in his home, which yeah. is... You know, and, and so I was reading some of the headlines um, he's in. This is in, in Spain, so the translation. And he's basically saying that uh, because they've tested this now, they have to test these these volunteers against the virus at some point, uh, you know, naturally. And he's claiming that this shows it's effective because he didn't, you know, he wasn't hospitalized and he didn't die. So, I, I, you know. doesn't get hospitalized or die. I mean, he's 45 and healthy. And so, again, right, it points right. out what we've been talking about, right? They're simply saying it didn't stop the infection, still infected, can still spread it. So now he's going to try and determine for us that his symptoms are less than those had he not had the vaccine. But he has no way of knowing because he's not he hasn't done it twice. Right. He can't say, you know, in my life, when I didn't get the vaccine, I felt like this. And now that I've had the vaccine. I got the disease both times. And I felt like I felt a little bit better during the vaccine. You see the problem, I think, with this type of science. Like, how do you prove that you have lowered the symptoms in mild cases, and frankly, who cares? If you like that clip, then be sure to check out our live broadcast of The High Wire every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific time. You can watch it on Facebook, iTunes, and Twitter. We'll see you there. The beef was for YouTube. For those that don't know, we got kicked off YouTube for talking about, of all things, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. A pharmaceutical yeah. drug. And it, yeah, and right now we're streaming to YouTube, so we'll see what that clip. I played a clip uh, last week or the week before too. So so far we're still here, um, you know, just giving information. Uh, 
so fantastic information and real dialogue, Kat. That's the thing that, you know, when you turn on um, headline news anywhere or local news, you're getting two minute soundbite. You're yeah. not getting dialogue. Nobody's engaging with the information to really wrangle with it. What does this mean? There's no depth happening, but you turn on the high wire and every single week, I don't know how you pull it off. And it's supposed Something to be bigger than ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's supposed to be what an hour show, hour and a half. And it often goes three hours. <laughs> well, I mean, it started as an hour long, like podcast and just kind of grew organically. Um, but yeah, we, we try, we really try to do hour and a half and it always ends up at about two hours, sometimes longer, just depending, but you know, we're really trying to forge like a new paradigm in media here where people actually stop, think, talk through ideas. We are not into like the two minute quick little sound bites. We're not into sponsor driven content. And so, I mean, that's been one of the blessings of our show style is that we have big scientists that want to come on because nobody will let them talk. And if you've ever interviewed scientists, they are not great at just spewing out sound bites. So for them to be able to have like a 20, 30 minute conversation about, you know, a really important topic, we love having that, that form open to them and they love it too. So it's really been great for the scientific community to know that there is a, there is a place you can come out and speak and it doesn't have to be a mainstream soundbite. So we're really lucky that, you know, we are on the internet. We're not on like a television network station where we would have a hard in and a hard out and you know mm -hmm. seven minutes you have to do this and 14 minutes you have to do that so it's really cool we're really excited about it yeah it, it really is i feel like even though there's so much craziest right now a whole new way of getting information um is emerging is is being born now out of necessity of people really wanting to know a feeling that their lives are not being served by sound bites yeah. you know it's just not working for them and i'm finding like i love the radio i love am radio here um you know alternative and and talk radio where you have time to really wrangle with issues and bring people on i wish i had three hours but so yeah. far we can afford one <laughs> i grew up listening to radio i love radio um i still listen to the radio probably more than i watch television just that's just like uh, i guess growing up in southern california and spending so much time in the car mm -hmm. you, and i like you know when i grew up it was like you either make your own mixtape or you hear the same like 10 songs played over and over again on the radio. So I listen to AM radio a lot. So mm -hmm. I, agree with you. I, I do like that format because there's more opportunity to kind of actually dive deeper into a subject rather than just have like a surface kind of maybe understanding of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I would love for you to explain to listeners kind of how all this began, you know, sure. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like a right place at the right time sort of story. So, you know, the movie Vaxxed came out and um, my husband Patrick had this idea to start these Facebook groups called Bring Vaxxed 2. We started one in Orange County, California, where we were living at the time. And that's kind of how we, I got, we were introduced to Dell because we had a lot of people come out, a few thousand, and then we helped a lot of grassroots people bring the movie to where they were um, living. And, you know, we had like strict talking points and you say this, you don't say that, that kind of helped like facilitate 
um, those people. And then once we found good people, we passed it off. You know, it wasn't like yeah. a baby we wanted to take care of. Um, and then let's I, tell listeners real quick though, what Vaxxed is, because not everybody oh, listening yeah. to us right now knows what Vaxxed is. Sure. So Vaxxed is a documentary about a whistleblower from the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, named William Thompson. And he was the lead statistician, meaning he was the one that was in charge of all of the data in an MMR autism study that they did, I believe was published in 2002. Two or three, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, and basically the story is that the scientists um, admitted that they found serious statistical significance between the MMR vaccine given before age three and autism. And everywhere they, every way they tried, they could not manipulate the data enough for it to lose that autism MMR vaccine connection. So what they did is they just threw away data and they literally brought a trash can into the room and people threw away their records and their data. And he didn't because he thought it would be illegal and provided that to um, the people that made the film. And so anybody that hasn't seen the movie, you can go to vaxed, V-A-X-X-E-D, themovie.com. You can find it there. It's It's been taken off a lot of other platforms after Adam Schiff asked um, Amazon and, you know, uh, other streaming services to remove it. So that's where you can find it. And I, it's 90 minutes long. I guarantee you that you won't regret ever watching it. So that's kind of how I got into that was, was that film, that documentary. Um, and uh, there was an event in New York where the, the so the, so after the movie, there was a bus that toured around the country, taking stories of people with vaccine injury um, myself included, I have two vaccine injured children, my husband and I do. And that's kind of how, we, I guess, ultimately we got into this because when it happened the first time, I didn't believe it. And then when it happened the second time and I really started digging, it just was horrifying what I didn't find. You know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. sun is so lacking. It's shocking. Um, but so this bus was traveling around the country and they were going to go to New York, um, for a kind of like a conference on how to can't combat people who were vaccine skeptics. And so the bus went up there and the plan was our bus was going to park across the street from where this meeting was at NYU and no one could get a permit. And I said, let me try, but I could do it. And I did, I got the permit and Gina from informed choice, Washington was my angel because she, I was in Texas with my kids. And she was in New York and someone had to save the spots. So she went to the fire department and got cones, talked to these street vendors and got these spots so that the bus could actually park there. So I could not have done it without her. Wow. But the bus was able to park there. And then I was talking and one of the cameramen snuck up into the cafeteria and one of this big vaccine guy who um, his name is Paul Offit told him to like, get the F out of here. So it was like a really great yeah. moment to see like the humanity of kind of the other side versus our side. And so after that, Dell had kind of approached me and he said, you know, I'm starting this nonprofit. Will you do it with me? Like, should we do it together? Like I need someone to run it. And I said, no, because I knew it was going to be a big commitment. And uh, Mm -hmm. until then I was home with my kids. Um, I was singing, but I was singing like nights and weekends. So I was always home. And that was something that was really important to me. Um, But, you know, he kept asking, they kept saying no, but then after a while, I just had this gut feeling where I was like, no, I have to do it. So mm-hmm. here we are. And that, yeah. that's what I can, it was really the synthesis of kind of the legal arm of what we wanted to do. And then I kind of just was brought in to kind of help manage the organization because I had a little bit of experience with that. Um, and then one day, and of course my husband came on board because we're kind of like, a, 
he's really good at things that I'm not good at. And I'm really good at things that he's not good at. So we're like, you know, he's very creative and I am not. So um, one day we were, we were doing something and Dell calls us up. He's like, somebody offered me like a podcast type show. Do you think I should do it? And we were like, uh, yeah, you totally should. So we would go to this studio in Hollywood in this little like closet of a, of a studio and we would do this podcast and then Dell would be like, write me, Kat, you write me bullet points on this. Like, what's all the info I need on this? And then he'd be like, Pat, can you make a video? And, and like, we had never really done that before. So we just kind of spontaneously learned how to make a show. And Pat was was always like the, the videos picture person. I was like the info info babe, as they say. I've Rush Limbaugh I used to always say that. I don't know why <laughs> it popped in my head. Um, I grew up listening to him with my parents. But um, and so it just kind of grew organically into this thing. And then we got our own studio and we brought in some really great producers from CBS that kind of helped us, you know, learn things that, you know, you learn if you work in television for 10 years that, you know, we didn't know. And so the growth of the show has just been exponential. Um, and along with that, our legal team and our legal victories have really grown kind of in concert with that. Um, and I just feel so blessed and so honored to be doing the work that I'm doing and working with the team that we're working with because really everybody works so hard, mm -hmm. um, you know, all nighters, weekends, holidays, and I'm just blessed to be part of this amazing team. Oh, it's, and, and we're blessed, you know, to have you, you're, those of us who are in it, I mean, we live and breathe it, right? It's what yeah. we do. Um, I'm doing the dishes. I'm listening to the high wire from earlier in the day that I wasn't able to, it's great. And I love how you um, break up now. You'll give us little bits, you know, like you already had that two minute clip. It helps us share. It helps us, you know, get in increments if we can't fit it in. Um, and I can't stress enough to listeners how if you really want to know what's going on in the world of COVID, in the world of informed consent, in the world of trying to get vaccine safety reform, just tune into the high wire. Um, and, and if you can binge watch start now, you don't have all the videos up yet that had been on YouTube. Do you? No, we don't okay. work on that. Um, they should all still be on Facebook, although we we're teetering on the edge of being kicked off of Facebook, but we yeah. do have all of our old episodes on there. We're working on building those down on the website, but again, we do have a small team. And so it's kind of like, well, that's, obviously a priority it's like are we going to have mm -hmm. this video in the show this week or are we going to put up episode 12 so yeah we have 186 episodes um we're working on building them on the website but if you want to watch the show you can watch it at thehighwire.com and if you're someone that likes to listen to podcasts we're still on apple podcasts mm -hmm. so you can find us the highwire with del big tree on apple podcasts we did get kicked off spotify oh, no. <laughs> but it's so crazy because as you said, we talk a lot about you know vaccine safety issue, and we always thought that's what would get us kicked off of social media. But no, it's because, as you said, we've been talking about coronavirus, hydroxychloroquine, budesonide, death rates, the problem with ventilators, the the blood clotting issue with COVID, um, mm -hmm. you know, hypoxia since February. And so we really have been ahead of the curve. And I think part of that is number one, we have an amazing research team that's working day and night, constantly digging. And you know how that is. Like you have mm -hmm. to go through everything with a fine tooth comb. Mm -hmm. And also too, we don't have corporate sponsors. So we didn't have to go up the chain of command, talk to our legal team, talk mm -hmm. to our pharma rep, talk to our this person. And so we really have been ahead of the curve in terms of everything coronavirus. And I'm super proud of that because 
I mean, it, sometimes it's a blessing and a curse because like last night we were watching the, the debates and we have like this group chat that we're on and he, Trump's talking about ventilators. And we're like, why is he talking about ventilators? No ventilators, but it's like, we live in this bubble of like, we know that. <laughs> But everybody else doesn't. And so there's like a populist type, you know, argument going there. So, but it's great. And you know, what's, what's cool is that um, I moved to Texas. My, our family moved to Texas in December and we're kind of like newbies here and everything locked down. And we had our core group of people that, you know, really haven't been afraid of COVID. And now that my younger son's back in school with no mask, I was starting to like get together with the parents and be like, we need to do this. We need to fight this. These kids can't be doing this. And everyone's like, oh, have you seen the show The Highwire? I'm like, yes, I have. <laughs> like people that are totally outside of the informed choice vaccine safety issue are in, you know, now in our camp because of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So it's really mm -hmm. been a, a silver lining. Yeah, I, I, I love that when people that I newly meet will ask me, you know, have you seen this or that? Or do you know about this? And what was really funny when uh, Judy Mikovits um, first started speaking, you know, um, why, why can't I think of it? Can you think of the name of that documentary? Uh, Plandemic yeah. came out, right? And I was down, just down the road in this tiny little supermarket. And I walk in and I saw another person without a mask on. And, you know, the the sheriff here does not enforce it, you know, and if you've got, you know, they, yeah. yeah. And if they, they just see you with that one, they're just assuming you've got a reason and, you know, they let you go. So I, I spoke to this other woman without it. And she says, Oh, well, you know, I was watching this woman. Her name is, is, is Judy something. And there's this thing. And she's telling me all about the book, you know, and it's like, I know Judy, you know, oh. and, and she, then she was like, you can't, you can't know her. Is that true? Really? You know? And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just really funny. I, and it just, yeah, I'm so happy for Judy. Like I used to follow her around at autism one conferences from like lecture to lecture, lecture. Cause I'd be like, oh my God, you're so smart. Yeah. And I'm glad that she's like out there. You know what I mean? It's, I'm, I love her. She's yeah. And, and I love that her work is in print because, you know, bless her heart, my brain can't keep up with her when I'm, you know, when it's dialogue, because, you know, she just goes and, and it's on this foundation of information. But when you get the book, she and her, you know, her co-author and editors help make sure that the foundation is there for you to follow along the whole conversation, which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've got some really great people here, you know, and I think that's a great place for us. We're going to take a, like a three minute break. And cool. then when we come back, I want to talk to you about the, the nonprofit side, the legal side. There's just some great work you guys have been doing. Ooh. So you, you're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be right back. Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, 
I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. Welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager of Informed Choice Washington. And with me here today is the wonderful Catherine Cat Layton, uh, a producer of The High Wire, the amazing show with Del Big Tree, and also is CEO. COO, and I've lost it, of an Informed Consent Action Network. So tell us about that. So what I didn't realize the nonprofit came before the show. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yeah. We really, you know, found that I can to kind of really have a legal arm because at that time, nothing really legally was going on and happening. And so we have an amazing legal team that was looking, you know, just for the right place in the right time. And it happened. And so Really, ICANN was was formed with the vision of really taking on the vaccine issue in the courts and winning. We we definitely have a long-term strategy, but we feel like it's a winning strategy. That's one thing that we all, that's kind of our baseline in terms of, of you know, anything we do really, is if we don't think we're going to win and we don't think it's going to make an impact, we don't waste our time doing it because there's a lot to do, as you know. And so, um, yeah, the legal the legal um, side of ICANN is really the, our foundation. Wonderful. And so, you know, at the top of the hour, I talked about how it was ICANN that got that saline placebo requirement in. Yeah. Can you talk about that and how other vaccines don't have that requirement? Sure, of course. So one of the, one of the, uh, and I, man, I have it on my computer somewhere. I, I'm sure I could, I could find it and send it over to you guys. But one of the, if you go to ICANDecide.org and you click on, um, government and then you click on HHS, there's a correspondence that we've had back and forth with them. And one of the pieces in that correspondence is what we call the vaccine placebo pyramid. And really what it's based on is that 
every vaccine that's licensed on the market was tested against another vaccine that was tested against another vaccine that was tested against another vaccine. So really there is no saline placebo testing going on with children's vaccines at all. There was one in the HPV trial group and then they combined it actually with the non-placebo group to kind of skew the, the data. So none of the vaccines that you're giving your kids have ever been tested for long-term safety against a saline inert placebo. And for me as a parent, when I first found that out, I was shocked. I had no idea. I would have definitely thought at least seen vaccines through a different lens had I have known that. Um, and so that's one of the things we really are advocating for, especially with the coronavirus vaccine one, because as many people may know or may not know, coronavirus vaccines have been in the works for almost 50 years now, and they've never been successful because they create a problem called immune enhancement, which is um, basically in a nutshell, you get the vaccine, you feel fine, but when you're exposed to the disease you're vaccinated for, you get extremely ill because the vaccine primes your immune system in the incorrect way um, and you die. And that's what they were seeing in animals in the trials for earlier coronavirus vaccines, something that had also happened with RSV, which is pretty common, like some people still get that. And that's why they're, they haven't created a vaccine for that either, because in the trials, children were actually dying or getting very, very ill. So that's the issue that we've been seeing with the coronavirus vaccine. One, number two, they're using new technologies that have never been used before successfully. Mm. And so we really felt that, especially at a warp speed, that the American public deserved to know that this product will be safe. Um, and how do you do that if you don't have an inert placebo and a long-term safety study? So originally, I think the trials were designed to be, and I don't quote me on this, I think under 10,000 people. And we actually filed a petition with the FDA under penalty of perjury and used you know, quotes from Dr. Paul Offit from Children's Health Hospital of Philadelphia who developed the rotavirus vaccine, who I, I mentioned him earlier, but if you don't know him, he did that. And he said on CNN that you can't know if a vaccine is safe unless you have at least 30,000 trial participants. So we wrote to the FDA requesting that they include at least 30,000 trial participants in their trial based on the words of this vaccine developer who also sits on the FDA committee that would approve the vaccine. And then we also demanded that they use a saline placebo so that they would not be able to hide any, any sort of safety signals behind it. And also because this is considered a new and investigational vaccine, it is not ethically appropriate to use another existing vaccine as a control against this vaccine. And then we really want longer term safety study, like safety follow-up, 24 days is not long enough. People need to be followed for at least three years for serious adverse events, we believe. So we were grant, well, the way that it works is you file the petition and then FDA changes their guidance. So it's not like they write you a letter and say, congratulations, we agree, here you go. What they did was they changed their guidance for vaccine manufacturers and said that you need to include 30,000 people and you need to include a saline placebo and you need to follow safety for longer. We're still, fi we're filing another petition for length because we still don't think it's long enough, but still we feel like that's a huge win. And as you can see now in America and other places where the where the pool of, of participants is larger, we are seeing more adverse events, which is what the whole point of the study is. So we're very happy, we're very proud of our work on that. We hope it's just the beginning. Um, and just to kind of sidetrack really quick in terms of safety testing, um, that's one of the other really big problems with vaccines is they are not tested long-term for serious safety issues. For example, Hepatitis B is a vaccine that's given to children the day they are born. So your baby comes out, they get a vaccine, 
handed to you basically is what it feels like as someone that has experienced that. And when I gave my kid that vaccine, I thought, oh, this must've been um, in safety trials for years. My kid's newborn, healthy, you know, it must be a very serious disease. That vaccine, there's two on the market and one of them was safety tested for four days and one was safety tested for five days, which means if my baby dies on day six, they don't consider it caused by the vaccine, which is atrocious because, you know, when they do drug studies, you hear this long list of things that are, you know, possible side effects from the drugs, but vaccines, that's not going on. And so when it comes to coronavirus vaccine, which is a vaccine that I think will probably be the first mandated adult vaccine if we get there. And obviously if it happens for adults, it will happen for children. We're just trying to do everything we can to make sure that the safety's there. And if it's not safe, it does not make it through phase three trials. Yeah, and I, I wanna point out because a lot of people say, well, I heard that this vaccine or that vaccine was tested for five years, 10 years, 20 years, but some vaccines are tested for effectiveness for years and years, yes. but the safety arm of those trials are very, very short. And sometimes they have this really bizarre setup where there's a window. So like, especially if it's a two dose, so you get the first one and they will look for like 18 days or two weeks to see if there was any adverse reaction. And then the rest of the time between the two vaccines, anything that happened, they don't call it related to the vaccine. And then you get the next one. And then there's another, you know, and they do this, I forget the name of it, like a self-controlled, it's just absurd. I mean, common sense. Yeah. That's one of the times where they just call you on the phone. They're like, do you feel okay? Okay, it's safe. Yeah, like really what I've noticed in terms of like vaccine safety investigations is all they care about is efficacy. They're not really looking for safety because they start with the premise that they're safe and they don't hurt anybody ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and they're more and more pushing the boundary of like telling you just because you're allergic to eggs doesn't mean you can't get a flu vaccine, right? And it's because people don't, if, if you are allergic to eggs, you may not drop dead in the doctor's office or go into anaphylactic shock. And so they assume, oh, that means nothing's going on in your immune system negatively. Have any studies been done to say, to look at a person's immune system response when they're injected with something that they are allergic to? No, right? So later on, when they start getting all this and that, growing more allergies and, and eczema and hives and, you know, and everything else that begin happening, we have no idea what's happening. Because if you can't see it with the naked eye, they act like it, nothing is going on. And we all know it's the invisible inside reaction. Um, you know, that is probably the most dangerous because you're not seeing it. <laughs> it's hiding yeah, from it, you. We know so little really about yeah. the immune system that it's really reckless in my opinion, what we're doing yeah. and, and just the, the ego and the, you know, you, you talk to somebody in science that say that you're skeptical of vaccine safety and they treat you like you are a psycho crazy person. Mm -hmm. And you are, I mean, you're not. There's such a lack of understanding when it comes to immunology. It is really is a brand new, every day they're learning something new about yeah. the immune system. They don't right. know fully what they're doing, yet they are acting as if, oh, we know without a doubt that this doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. We don't know what causes autism, but we know for sure it's not vaccines. It's like, 
how can you make those two completely contradictory yeah. statements? I mean, that really is the problem in science is that science is never settled. And so as soon as you're in a space of settled science, there's a big problem. There, there really is. And it's funny because it was just announced within the last couple of days that scientists discovered a whole new set of salivary glands they I never knew that. we had. Right yeah. Yeah. They didn't know we had those. And then, you know, I added that. I did this post. We added that to the discovery that the lymphatic system is directly connected to the brain. Until about 2015, they thought the blood-brain barrier kept everything out. I mean, that alone... Um, scientists said they need to rewrite textbooks yeah you know and and what does the what impacts the lymphatic system directly injection yeah. of anything especially a vaccine and For how can you sure. not now take a right how can you not take a second look at the impact that parents and, and scientists have been saying there's something going on here neurologically harm with these products now that we know this and then and then we also discovered the interstitial which again exactly. is something that's interrupted by the vaccine process because you have to you have to pierce the interstitial in order to inject and yeah so there's just science is never settled and and you're right that the arrogance of it is is so appalling and I just want to say real quick that you know people will argue with me and say but it's far fewer people are harmed by the vaccine that would have been harmed by the illness and what I always say is the harms of an illness do not justify keeping a a flawed product you know on the market and accepting a flawed product these are liability free highly profitable pharmaceutical products they're telling you to take right and so why th those flaws cannot be accepted simply because something you, do you, am I, is, well, and I'm it, making logic. Sense, but I would argue that number one, there that argument that you know vaccine injury is is less common than people that died from the measles or died from whooping cough. That is a lie. That is not true. There's no data to back that up. Those diseases yeah. are practically non-existent and they were not lethal. Right now we have autism at 3%. My kid, I would have rather taken the chance of any of those diseases. He, my, so my older son has recovered. My younger son is not. I hope he does. You know, we work hard at that. But if he doesn't, he needs round the clock, 24 hour care. Would I have chosen that or the measles? 3%, and I think that's a low number of kids in America have autism. And we know there is a direct correlation with vaccines almost every time. That is a far greater number than anybody that died of a vaccine preventable disease in the modern era in America with the era of clean water, washing mm -hmm. our hands, um, you know, basic support care when you're sick, making sure you're not dehydrated. And not to mention, I mean, there are a lot of other issues that are directly connected with vaccination. The biggest one, in my opinion, being asthma. Autoimmune diseases are rampant through our kids right now. One in five children are starting elementary school in a drug they will be on for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. So whenever people make that argument to me that like, oh, you know, it's kind of like a greater good argument. Mm -hmm. It's it's completely flawed because our, this is the biggest public health disaster that has ever happened. We have never seen a generation of children so sick. And, and furthermore, our elderly, they are not doing well. Dementia, oh, Alzheimer's, yeah. Parkinson's, those diseases are skyrocketing on the rise. 
we know that aluminum is directly correlated with that. Christopher actually has done great work on that, yet they completely ignore it. Mm -hmm. I, I think the two biggest groups for vaccination obviously are children and, and seniors. And, you know, it really breaks my heart because those are two of the most vulnerable po populations. And I really feel like as a society, the way that you can like val like judge kind of like the character of a society is the way that they treat their elderly and the way that they treat their children. And pharma sees them as just big cash cows. Mm -hmm. And to me, I, I, that's a question that like really fires me up. Can you tell when people are like, yeah. oh, wow, measles. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Well, and I, I think taking crazy pills sometimes. I'm like, do you not see what's going on around yeah. you? You know who do see it? Our teachers. Teachers that have taught for a long time, I think have definitely seen a change. And so I hope that more of them, you know, are empowered to speak out. But um, yeah, yeah, we need to record. I would love to have a documentary film done recording, especially teachers have been teaching 30, 40 years, and they can relay their stories of the changes they've seen in the health of children. But um, a really important point, we need a whole cultural shift because right now, through really intense, brilliant, evil marketing, people have been made to feel that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And they are feel like it's okay to sacrifice the few for the many. And that is so until it happens to them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it really the mindset should be you cannot serve the many by sacrificing the few. That you always, always have to, if you have a a um a policy that is out there at the population level, you must always do everything within your power to protect the few who will be harmed by that policy. In fact, here in Washington state, our secretary of health actually has within his, his job description that he is supposed to look at the data and look to see if there are any policies that are harming specific populations so that they can be protected. But he is not doing that, you know? Oh no, that you always hear about like the immune compromised child, right? This one child that's going to catch, let's just stay with measles, measles from the unvaccinated kid, something that's never ever happened yeah. in the medical literature. But yet we are sacrificing hundreds of thousands of kids every year, their brains and their neurological systems to vaccines to protect this theoretical, I, I mean, the whole yeah. argument to me just doesn't make sense. And again, public health authorities I've met with them. I've sat down with them. I've gone to meetings at CDC. I've gone to meetings when I lived in California, the Department of Health. They are not the brightest people. They don't really know how to look at the data. They basically are soundbite driven. And it's mostly pressure from outside people that dictate their policy choices. It, there is a huge problem with public health, and I've met some that are that are bright, but some who aren't. Well, you um, Washington, I know that Dell spoke to, and he said, you know, what's the number? What's the number of kids? If you know they're hurt by vaccines, what's the number where you're willing to change this policy? And she says, they don't have one. Yeah, they don't have. Yeah, one. They, they, they don't have a number. The public health is run like a military like a, di a dictatorship, like a military and the people at the top. The CDC if, is the military right. branch, so that's a great. Right, and all the way down the way, you have to do as you're told and you act like that good soldier. And if you dare question, 
you know, you're at risk of court martial and getting kicked out. And so there's this, this whole, there needs to be a system of check and balances. We've been begging our state saying, please think critically, serve our state, look at the data we're giving you. And if it doesn't, one time they did, I was so proud of them with mumps. One time I was at a vaccine advisory committee meeting and they were looking at the mumps data and um, our state epidemiologist looked around the room and said, you know, guys, the evidence shows that the non-vaccinated are not driving this epidemic and our rule to exclude them from school does not serve a good purpose and it harms them and we don't need it. So I think we should not recommend unless things change that if mumps outbreaks happens, we shouldn't recommend kids be excluded. And I'm like, my jaw dropped. And then he told them, this has never been done before. What we're considering doing, we'd be the only state not following CDC guidelines. I don't think anybody's ever done this before, but they all voted to do it because the data was there. And that gave me this little seed of hope. You know, so far I haven't seen them do it in any other area, but it's like, you know, think help protect us. You know, it's so important. Um, the, um, the 1986 act that ICANN is, it has gone through with a fine tooth comb to see everywhere where HHS has not followed its safety duties. When they assumed liability and set the vaccine makers free, they were supposed to do all of these things. One of the things they were required to do is exactly what we're talking about. They were required to go out, find those susceptible to vaccine injury so that those kids, your child, children, my child, all the children who were most susceptible to injury could be protected from these mass programs. That's supposed to happen. They have not done that. But I can, you're taking steps. Can you, we've got just a few minutes here. Can you kind of explain this process you're going through in this dialogue with health and human, health and human services that's leading somewhere? Yes, absolutely. So for those that are listening or watching that don't know what the 1986 Act is, it was an act passed by Congress because so many children were being injured by the diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus vaccine. The vaccine manufacturers threatened to stop putting vaccines on the market. And in return, they were granted blanket liability immunity, and the uh, liability burden was put on the government. And as part of that, the government was supposed to be ensuring that certain safety measures were met. So what ICANN's doing is we've gone through the 86 Act and really chronicled everything that, that HHS is supposed to be doing to ensure that vaccines are safe and are being made safer every year. So they were supposed to set up a committee of people that was supposed to be meeting every three years to go through all of the data and look and see like, oh my gosh, we're seeing this in this population, we're seeing this in this population, we need to work to make this safer. So really what we've been doing is we've been using the power of the FOIA and we were like, okay, great. That committee was supposed to be set up. Let's see all the meeting minutes. And so basically what happens is we get stonewalled and we have to go to court because, you know, it's basically like who has enough money to pay their lawyers long enough. And luckily through the generous, generous uh, support of people, like our average donation is $20, which I love. I love like little money donations because I feel like there's a lot of like power in that. And so we've been lucky enough that we have the funds to take them to court we, we joke that we have like a whole FOIA office working for us because right now we have 200 outstanding FOIAs and we're really going through the 86 Act and making them admit in court on paper that they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing under the law. So, so far they've had to admit that they haven't convened on their vaccine safety task force, not once, they haven't had one meeting. So we have that. Number two is that they were supposed to 
be doing studies to make sure that vaccines are safer. None of them have been done. Number three is we asked for the clinical trials, and this is kind of a little bit of a segue off. The clinical trials relied upon when licensing, licensing the DTaP vaccine and the flu vaccine for use in pregnant women. That doesn't exist, so they admitted that in court. Um, and our other recent win is we asked for every single study for the vaccines given before six months of age, which is not MMR, that would be DTaP, hepatitis B, um, and these are injected, we didn't do rotavirus, injected vaccines, hepatitis B, polio, um, Hib, Prevnar, I'm sure I'm missing one. Bernadette probably knows which one I'm missing. No, I don't yeah. have it in front of me. So yeah, studies relied upon to show that those vaccines don't cause autism. And yeah. guess what? They sent us 21 studies. Not one of them had anything to do with the vaccines right. that we asked about. So basically they admitted they don't have any of those studies. So really what we're doing is we're using the power of the court power of the public record to go in and win these lawsuits and just try to blast it out everywhere. That's the beauty of having high wires. Like we, we joke, if you win a lawsuit and no one's there to know you won it, did you actually win it? Yeah. So we're really going piece by piece. Our strategy is we're boarding up the windows before we set the house on fire. So we're working on boarding up those windows. we got bigger ones that we're going to board up smaller ones, but you know, just kind of as they come towards us. Um, and really our legal team headed by Aaron Siri. I cannot say enough about that guy and his yeah. team. And not only is he a brilliant lawyer and the king of spreadsheets, he is <laughs> like, if you, he jokes, he's like, I could make chocolate pudding with Excel. And he really can. Like whenever I'm like, how do I do this on a spreadsheet? He's like, oh, this, yeah. he's an amazing he's person. Amazing. Yeah. And, and, and you know, with amazing, and, I mean, and so we really, I'm so blessed that we have not only these amazing people, but they're also like great people. Yeah. But we really feel like we have a long-term strategy that can win, you know, and you know, I, I hate to cut you off there, but I'm, I'm out of time and, and oh, well, <laughs> I'm going to have you again. This has been so fantastic. Kat. Thank you. Everybody go to the high wire, go to icandecide.org. Um, visit Inform Choice Washington tonight because tomorrow there's a great event for uh, sound choice. It's a wonderful event where you're going to um, have the opportunity to win a 50 minute phone call with Dell Big Tree or Dr. Deicher or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So go to Informed Choice Washington, look for the uh, event. It is called an health, um, Hope and Health Now event. Look for that and sign up for that. Um, I, I, uh, I, and I have to somebody... give a shout out to you and Informed Choice Washington <laughs> for doing amazing work. Thank the you. You have this going on. Keep it up. We're going to win this. The truth is on our side. And oh, yeah, it, it's a real health revolution, one conversation at a time. Everybody have a great weekend. Thank you. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. 
We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org.